Recently, I received a nasty review of the Novel Marketing Podcasts on Apple Podcast. This wasn't our first negative review, but it was the first one that was mean, or at least mean-spirited. Uh, the reviewer obviously didn't like me personally and didn't think I was doing a good enough job hiding who I was. She was angry. I didn't do a better job hiding the fact that I was a Christian. So how do you handle haters and trolls? This is a question that's been brought back to my mind as a result of this comment and something that we used to talk about on this podcast quite a bit. Well, today I have a special treat for you. I'm going to share a couple of those old episodes, episodes, one of which is no longer on the feed because every time we release a new episode, it knocks off the oldest episode because our feed only supports 300 episodes. So we are saving one and we are uh, reclaiming the other, which will disappear soon. So how do you handle trolls and haters and critics? We'll find out in this episode of Novel Marketing, the longest running book marketing podcast in the world. I'm Thomas Umstead Jr., CEO of Author Media, and this is the show for writers who want to build their platform, sell more books, and make a living writing books worth talking about. And you're about to hear the first of those two episodes. I'll come in in between before we go to the second one. And the other voice you're going to hear is James L. Rubart, who co-hosted this podcast for the first five years and still comes back from time to time. So without any further ado, here is the first of those two episodes. This is the Novel Marketing Podcast. I'm Thomas Umstadt Jr. I'm James L. Rubart. And this is the show for novelists who hate marketing, but still want to become best-selling authors. This week, we're going to be talking about trolls, haters, and critics. Yay! <laughs> Thomas is excited. I'm excited. We hope you're excited. Yeah, I'm so excited. <laughs> <laughs> the hard, cold reality is if you're a writer, you are going to run into people that do not like you. And they're going to not just not like your writing. They're not going to like you. And they're going to not just keep it to themselves. They are going to come after you. The first time this happened to me is I had a blog post go up and I had a Google alert and I just went to see what they were saying. And they slammed my book. And they admitted, okay, they slammed my book. They admitted in the review, I have not read your book. <laughs> and that's when I realized there are people that you're going to have to deal with that are just after you for sometimes seemingly no reason at all. This, this happened to me and just recently, actually, we were putting together a course on how to crowdfund your book. And we decided we're going to crowdfund this course. And so we posted a link to it on one of the Facebook groups of super backers and other folks who are experts in crowdfunding, and they hated the idea of it. They were like, this information shouldn't be out there, or people should just look it up on blogs and do it the hard way. And they also are attacking me as like, who are you to do this? You know, because they didn't know who I was. They weren't from the author community. And so I did a very foolish thing. And I was like, oh, well... They obviously, it's just because they haven't encountered, they haven't taken the course. This was just reacting to the title of the course. <laughs> they hadn't seen it. So I'm like, I'll send them free copies. So I remember the first guy, it's like, hey, here's a link. And we're talking like 10 gigabytes worth of stuff because we hadn't cleaned it up yet. And he sends me back this long reaction basically saying, I don't expect this to change my mind. Here's all the reasons why I don't like you and I don't like what you're doing. And so then he posts back two minutes later to the group. I checked out the course and it's no good. <laughs> I was like... It's like, what are you talking about? This is eight hours of training. How do you check that out in two minutes? And the reality was that oftentimes haters are motivated by jealousy. The reality is that any of the folks in this group could have made this course, but they haven't. Right. 
Right. And it takes a lot of time. We spent weeks and months creating the course. And they were the experts that could have done it, but they didn't. And a little bit, it was jealous, like, oh, why is this guy doing this thing that I could do? And so they respond out of that. But before we get to the tips, we should probably distinguish between the differences between trolls, haters, yep. and critics. So what is the difference, Jim, between a troll, a hater, and a critic? Well, a critic, for example, a critic is somebody that has an opinion, usually an educated opinion, whether you agree with them or not. A critic is going to tell you, hey, this is what I like. This is what I didn't like. This is why I didn't like the film. For example, I love film. And so I'll go to Rotten Tomatoes. And on Rotten Tomatoes, you have critics that are critiquing the film based on their values, what they like in a film, what they don't like in a film. And oftentimes, critics... If you have a thick enough skin, they can actually point out things that can improve your writing as opposed to a troll. And Thomas, why don't you jump in and give a definition of a troll? Yeah, a troll is someone who enjoys arguments and debates. So if you have anything controversial, this is probably going to be somebody on the other side, but it could be somebody on your side, too. Pretty much every side of every debate has trolls and they enjoy the fight for the sake of the fight there. So unlike a critic who's trying to elevate quality and trying to help people be more discriminating and avoid bad films or bad books. A troll is really just wanting to get in there and get into the hustle and the bustle. And the temptation is to debate with the trolls. And this is called feeding the trolls and you must not do it. That was a mistake that I made. These I, I misjudged. So going back to my story on this Facebook group, I thought these people were critics. And in reality, they were trolls. If they were critics, they would have gone through the course and given feedback on the course itself. But in reality, they were trolls or maybe haters, which is the third category, which is someone who's a, who is against you because of who you are or what you represent. And they're motivated often for internal emotional. Maybe there's some insecurity that you're harping on. Maybe you're writing about something that makes them feel guilty in, in a certain way or they're jealous of your success. So I notice the more successful someone is, the more haters and trolls they tend to attract. And I've noticed this with Michael Hyatt. He's a very successful person. And so there's a lot of folks who are kind of shaking their fists at Michael Hyatt and like, why can't I be as successful as him? And they start to nitpick stuff that he's doing. And a lot of that is motivated out of jealousy. Some of you know, I used to be a semi-professional magician and I still do a little sleight of hand and this kind of thing. And I was part of a magic club when David Blaine came out. So here's this street magician. Nobody knows who he is. He has this special on ABC. It blows up. People love him. And his style of presenting is basically, hey, you want to take a look at a card? All right. <laughs> you know, it's just this very low key thing. But the way he dresses, his persona, his whole vibe is really cool. And it really, it was powerful because it went against the typical stereotypical cheesy tuxedoed up magician that nobody even wants to see. And so this guy struck a nerve. And in all the magic clubs, they were going, how come he got a special? I can do that trick. That trick he did, everyone knows how to do that trick. Well, the reality was, yeah, all of us magicians knew how he did his tricks. We could do them. But he did it in a way that was different, unique, made him stand out. But he had haters for the very fact that he made it and they didn't. Yeah, so I remember really struggling because... I'm not used to haters. You know, it's always a surprise the first time you have it. And this is one of the things that separates kind of beginning authors from more mature, established authors is that the first time it just comes out of nowhere. You're not expecting it. Most of the time you're not expecting it. If you write a really provocative book or controversial, you'll know you're going to get the haters. But sometimes it's easier when you know they're on the other side of the fence, whatever that fence is. It's when it's your friends sometimes that it can really Hurt. And I remember I asked Gary Johnson about this. He's the founder of Bookstop. He used to be on the board of directors for Whole Foods. And he has this really helpful matrix that I wanted to share. So it's the Gary Johnson's matrix of feedback. And so 
at the top, I want you to imagine four boxes, kind of a square grid of four boxes, two on top of the others. And on the top, I want you to put geniuses and idiots. And then along the side, I want you to put love and hate. So all feedback can uh, fit into one of those four boxes. So you might have somebody who's an idiot and they hate your book. You're like, oh, that's no big deal. This person doesn't know about the topic or they don't know about my book. And so you just write them off. Or you may have an idiot who loves your book. Your mom, hopefully, loves your book, but she may not know a lot about your topic or a lot about fiction. She may not be an established critic or a genius, so to speak. So the best is, of course, geniuses who love your book. You know, someone with really refined taste who really likes your book. But the hardest is when someone that you really respect the opinion of, the genius, hates your book. And so what Gary Johnson recommends is to ask the question, why do I think that they're wrong? And that question really helps you evaluate what to do with that feedback. Because it may be that your book really is flawed. You hire an editor to take a look at your book and they tear it to pieces. Well, they're not tearing it to pieces because that's how they get their kicks. And if it is, you hired the wrong editor. <laughs> they're tearing it to pieces because they're wanting to make it better. And so generally speaking, most of that feedback is going to be good feedback. And so the right way to respond to that quote unquote critical feedback is to say, you know what, you're right. That character is not fully developed. His dialogue is stilted. And so like, I will incorporate your feedback or I'll work on ways of making it better. Or say, why do I think that they're wrong? So, you know, your argument is valid, but I disagree with you. And here's why. And you have specific reasons of like, well, the reason that he's doing this is because of this element of the character or what have you. And the better reason that you can have for saying this is why I believe that they're wrong, the better you can feel. And this really helped me responding to the crowdfunding haters. I was like, all right, why do I think that they're wrong? Well, two reasons. One, they don't know the audience we're trying to reach. We're trying to reach people who've never crowdfunded ever before, and they're doing their very first crowdfunding project, and they find crowdfunding very overwhelming. That's not who these gurus are. They're, they've been doing this for years, and they've forgotten what it feels like, the scariness of crowdfunding the first time. And the second reason we think that they're wrong is that they don't know us, and they don't know our track record of producing quality stuff in the past, and so they are reacting wrongly to what they're seeing. And when I realized that I had reasons for why I felt that these quote-unquote geniuses are wrong, it helped me feel a lot better. Back to the critics thing for a minute. You're going to get these people who are the, the geniuses who don't like your work. In this day and age, the way the world works, you can interact with those people a lot of the time. And sometimes they will respond to you. Sometimes they will start a relationship with you. And sometimes they end up becoming an advocate for you. I sent my, I, I sent my first novel to a, an author I had gotten to know a little bit and respected. And he wrote back and says, it just doesn't work for me. I don't get it. And I could have just blown him off or said, okay, you're wrong and this kind of thing. But instead I engaged and I got what I thought was really good feedback. Well, my second novel came along and I said, this guy's now a friend. I'm going to send him my second novel. Loved my second novel and ended up endorsing it. So these people, if you go in with a teachable attitude and editors will say this again and again and again, boy, there are some authors that are just not teachable. But the ones that are teachable, oh my gosh, we love working with them. So you need to be teachable in those moments where those, those outside people are, in effect, your editors. But this only applies to legit critics. Yes, you, yes, if yes, you, yes. If you try with a hater or a troll to do this, they will tear you to pieces and they will never let go. The more you interact with a troll or a hater, 
the more ammunition you're giving them to use back at you. And this is why this distinction is really helpful because critics absolutely can be won over. In fact, what makes a good critic is the not having a personal bias. That very thing that I experienced with those trolls is that they had a personal bias against me and against the idea. It caused them to not have good judgment. They weren't looking at it on its merits. And so they're not going to look at it on its merits, trying to give it more merits. Be like, well, here's more samples and isn't going to win them over because for the samples to work, you actually have to read it or listen to it or what have you. And this is where you need to be wise and figure out, are they a troll or not? Because if it's a troll, remember, they love to argue and they will argue the other side of (laughs) of the argument, even if they don't believe it, just for the sake of the argument. And they're better at it than you. So you're not going to win in that scenario. And haters, again... There's a proverb that says, don't engage, don't argue with a foolish man. And so take that to heart. So here's how to get rid of trolls. There is a time proven way of getting rid of trolls. It has worked on the internet since the dawn of the internet. Are y'all ready? This is guaranteed to work. Don't feed the trolls. (laughs) (laughs) Trolls live on attention. If you don't give them attention, they will starve and go somewhere else where someone is giving them attention because that's what motivates them. And so that's why getting into the debate with troll is so dangerous because you're giving them food and it's kind of like a stray dog or stray cat you you if you keep feeding that stray cat pretty soon you have a new pet and it will never leave you alone so and they bring their friends and they bring their (laughs) friends yeah all right so we've talked kind of objectively but we haven't had a chance to talk about emotionally how to deal with how painful this is and i don't want to write this off and i now appreciate it more it's kind of easy for me as this distant marketing guy to be like, oh, yeah, you know, obviously you're not everyone's going to like you, love me, hate me, don't ignore me. We keep saying that, but we don't talk about how painful it is to have people legitimately hate you. (laughs) It's like, wow, (laughs) I didn't realize that people hated me. That's this is not so fun. So, Jim, what are some advice that you have for dealing with that emotional pain and that feeling of insecurity and wanting to quit? And maybe these folks are right. And I really have no idea what I'm doing. First of all, and to Thomas's point, I'm a marketing guy, but I'm also an author and I've gone through this. Believe me, I have experienced this pain and it is not fun. So those of you out who are going, you don't know how bad it hurts. I do know how bad it hurts. And so the first thing is don't get isolated. It's very, very easy to just get right in your cave as soon as that happens and feel like I'm the only one and nobody else hates others as much as they're hating me. Don't get isolated. Talk to your other author friends. Say, has this ever happened to you? And they'll go, oh my gosh, are you kidding me? Of course it's happened. The other thing you can do is have fun with it. I was at Thriller Fest in 2010 and they had a contest for the worst review, the most hateful review. And this guy read it out loud and everyone laughed. And that took away so much of the sting for this guy to everybody laughing and going, oh, my gosh, I can relate. I've had ones like that. That one's funny. The other way to deal with it is and this is the way I've dealt with it lately. I used to read all my reviews. I don't read my reviews anymore. I don't really even read the great ones, the five stars. So I just ignore it. But if somebody writes to me, I will always read that and I'll always answer that because if somebody has taken the time to personally write to me. 9.9 times out of 10, that's a critic. If they don't like it, that's a critic that really cares and wants to talk to me. I'll engage with them. But the other people, Thomas is right. No, sorry, can't feed you. No food for you today. (laughs) So one temptation is to develop a tough skin and be like, I don't care what other people think. And this can be helpful emotionally, but it's also a, a risk. And it's a bit of a trap in the sense that that tough skin can insulate you 
from community if you allow it to infect your whole life, but it also in, insulates you from legitimate feedback from the critics. And a good example of this is Scott Adams. He's the creator of the Dilbert comic strip. In the first two or three years of his comic, it was really struggling. And then he put his email address on his comic. He's the first person to do this. It was like 1994, you know, Scott at AOL.com. I still know the email address. And, you know, it's because that's what everybody has AOL back in those days. And he started getting this flood of emails responding to his comics. And a lot of them were negative. Some of them were positive, but they all had a constant theme. And the theme was, we like Dilbert better when he's at work. We don't enjoy the strips with Dilbert at home. And so he took that feedback, retooled Dilbert, made it a workplace commentary, and it became one of the most popular comics of all time, one of the best-selling, one of the most lucrative comics because he responded to that criticism that he got from his audience. So he couldn't have done that if he had a tough skin and just blew him off. What do these people know? I'm going to keep having Dilbert be a loser at home and having him a loser at work. It's like, no, we just want to see Dilbert at work. Something else you can do to keep a soft heart, and that is so, so important, especially you're an artist. You, you have to keep that soft heart. Something else to do is go to the Psalms. Go to the Psalms, because here's a guy, David, who wrote the majority of them. Here's a guy that that is one of the most iconic figures in, in the entire Old Testament. And yet he went through he went through struggles. He went you through think pain. your life is bad? Yeah. No one is trying to kill you. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Chasing Talk you about a country. guy that, that that had haters and trolls and went through rejections. <laughs> and sometimes just reading through those is is incredibly, I believe, incredibly therapeutic. So you're, another temptation is to run away or hide behind a pen name. And I really encourage you not to do that. Trolls and haters and critics, all three of those are a symptom of reaching people. If no one's reading your writing, you're not going to have any critics. And if, if people are reading your writing, not everyone's going to enjoy you. And you have something unique to offer to the world. The world needs to hear from your unique perspective. And running away or hiding is essentially letting the trolls win. And you can't let the trolls win for the good of humanity. Don't let the <laughs> trolls win. <laughs> I love that. And finally, a couple last tips to encourage you. Take your favorite book. What's your favorite book? To Kill a Mockingbird, Lord of the Rings. Look it up on Amazon and read the one-star reviews. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's like, this person just thinks they're so smart and how they're criticizing Charles Dickens. And it makes them feel smarter than Charles Dickens. But the reality is critics often and trolls and haters, especially the haters, they hate because they can't do. And by criticizing the work of others, they feel like they're a part of that creative community, even though they're not. There are those who build and there are those who tear down. And they feel like, well, I'm working with construction tools, so I must be, it's the same work, but it's not. They're tearing down while others are building. And so just remember that, that by writing, you are a builder, not a tearer down, unless you're writing as attacking other people. And I guess it's a little bit of both. And then finally, it's okay not to read your reviews. I can't tell you how many prominent authors I've worked with at Author Media, and I can't mention, I won't mention their names, but we've worked with a lot of best-selling authors and famous authors, and they don't read the reviews. It's, it's almost more common to find someone who doesn't read the reviews than someone who does, because the pitfall is that the five-star reviews make you think too highly of yourself, and the one-star reviews make you think too lowly of yourself, and both ways has you thinking about yourself instead of your readers, right. and it can, it can get you off your game. So picture that troll or that hater in your mind and remember this people treat you the way they feel about themselves mm. hurt people hurt people yes and so keep that in mind yeah that is a really great point point. and there's a saying that jesus said that i think is really tough to do but it's 
really powerful and it helps you feel better. And that is to love those who hate you <laughs> and to do yeah. good to those who despitefully use you. And so if you can do that to your haters, it will heap burning coals on their head, which could be a effective marketing strategy. <laughs> Present day Thomas here. And what's interesting, some context on that episode, just a few weeks after that episode was released, I wrote a blog post that put me in the middle of a firestorm of attention and controversy. I had hundreds of bloggers blogging about me, tens of thousands of people discussing my post on social media. It was on the radio. There was even a documentary eventually made. And while a lot of the feedback and commentary was positive, people were sharing the post, it got over a million views, a lot of it was negative as well. One blogger wrote a multi-part series about why I was wrong. <laughs> Every week it was a new uh, blog post attacking me. Now, I should say this was all back in 2014. And before I share the second episode, because we did another episode about a year after that firestorm, I'm reflecting back on it and sharing some of the lessons learned. I want to point out something really important. I haven't mentioned what that blog post was about or what the controversy was about. And most of you listening have no idea. <laughs> Once had a million people talking about me angrily and excitedly. And now most people have no memory of it or perhaps a vague, fuzzy memory. They're like, yes, Thomas Umstead, what was that that he was up to? And this is something I want to point out for you to keep in mind when you are in the middle of a firestorm of attention, whether it be positive or negative, right? You may be listening to this episode right now because suddenly you're in a firestorm of hate and you're trying to manage it. And I just want to encourage you very soon, no one will remember. The internet has a very short memory. You may be a hero today. You may be a villain today. But tomorrow, no one will know who you are or remember why they hated you or loved you. So don't uh, read your own press. Don't buy in to what the crowd thinks of you. If they think you're a hero, that doesn't make you a hero. If they think that you're a villain, that doesn't make you a villain. If you derive your self-worth from the crowd, your highs and lows will be crushing because whether they like you or hate you, them forgetting you can be very painful <laughs> if they are your source of validation. So with that, let's go to the second episode. We, we gave this kind of a bad title. It was How to Market Yourself to People Who Don't Like You, which is a terrible podcast episode title. <laughs> but listen to it anyway, because it's actually some good content, despite the fact that we were still new at naming podcast episodes. This is the Novel Marketing Podcast. I'm James L. Rubart. I'm Thomas Umstadt, Jr. And this is the show for novelists who hate marketing but still want to become best-selling authors. And we are back. <laughs> Finally. <laughs> After Finally our back. long hiatus, we apologized. We got your emails and your texts and your Facebook requests. And yes, we are not going away. We are here to talk about marketing and to help you become best-selling authors. And thank you to all of you who have reached out and said, when are you guys going to get new episodes up? Thank you for your patience. So today we are going to talk about how to market yourself to people who, wait for it, don't like you. So dun, 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 dun. this is one of the hard things to realize as a author. In general, people don't care about you. They care about themselves. But occasionally they do care about you in a way that you don't like. They don't like you. And <laughs> so how right. do you market to folks like that? Well, first of all, Thomas and I like to say that you are marketing yourself in every moment. You are to editors, agents, readers, other authors, by the way you speak, by the way you dress, by your tone of voice, by the things you say, by the things you don't say, how open you are or how closed off you are. So we are certainly marketing ourselves 
to everyone around us in every moment. The problem is when you market yourself in such a way that people do not respond to you in the way you hope they would respond. I was at a conference earlier this year and there was an editor there that I wanted to meet, just get to know a little bit. And he does nonfiction and I have a few nonfiction books rolling around in my head and I just thought it'd be a good contact to have. So I sat down next to him at lunch and I'd say after about, oh, about two or three minutes of trying to make polite conversation, it was clear that this guy just wasn't connecting with me. He wasn't rude, but at one point in the conversation, he just kind of turns away and starts talking to the guy next to him. And I can take a hint and go, you know what? There's just not a connection here. And if I'm really honest, he's probably not a guy I would go hang out with. You know, it, it was a, it was a business situation. And that's and okay. Kind of, yeah, that's okay. But it kind of stung a little. It's like, well, you know, what's wrong with me? So in this episode, we're going to talk about how do you deal with people like that? How do you make the marketing connection when there really isn't a natural connection with someone else? But Thomas, I, I think you better tell your, uh, let's say, non-connection story first. <laughs> so as those of you who've been listening for a long time know, I wrote a blog post last year in 2014 titled Why Courtship is Fundamentally Flawed. And the post went viral. You know, over a million people read it in every country in the world except for North Korea, which I believe blocks my entire blog. So it got a lot of buzz and a lot of negative feedback, a lot of positive feedback. And a lot of folks asked me to write a book, including pastors, blah, blah, blah. We talked all about that. So my book came out a couple of weeks ago. And it launched to, within 48 hours, I had multiple one-star reviews and multiple five-star reviews. And one of the one-star reviews was so mean, one of my readers was able to get it taken down from Amazon for violating their terms of service. But to this day, the book only has five-star and one-star reviews. <laughs> so, um, you know how we've talked about that, that yeah. bell curve that you want? Yeah, love me, hate me, don't ignore me. <laughs> I am practicing my own preaching right now. And it is tough to hear because I'm writing to conservative evangelical Christians, particularly in the home school community and which is what I grew up as and what I still identify as and those are the folks who are the most hostile I have gotten very very mean emails I had one homeschool mom who was sending me some sort of mean message on Facebook every 20 minutes for an entire day just in case I was missing her so like my phone's constantly vibrating or buzzing with new hate or new criticism and um also, people who are loving it, and I've heard from folks who've gotten married now because of the blog post and people who are going on dates for the first time, 26, 27-year-old people who've never been on a date and are now dating and have hope for marriage that they didn't have before. And uh, it's an interesting challenge that I'm facing because I'm trying to write to the folks I'm trying to reach are these conservative evangelicals who aren't getting married. You know, there's been this collapse in the marriage rate across the country, but particularly within these conservative circles. And... What I've had to realize is that not everyone has ears to hear. <laughs> and that's true regardless of what your message is. There are folks who are going to listen and folks who are not going to listen. And um, as loud and as angry as the people who are who don't have ears to hear, you can't give up on your message. And you also can't give up on them because th there's a saying I heard one time that when you throw a stone into a pack of dogs, the one who yelps loudest is the one who got hit. <laughs> so <laughs> often the people who are the angriest are the ones who are being most touched by your message. And maybe they don't agree with you at the time. And maybe being angry is how they're working through your ideas. But it, I found often that the folks you make angry today 
end up being your allies four and five years from now as they've worked through their anger? That's a great point. I sent my first book to be endorsed by a guy, hopefully, another author, and he wrote back and said, I just don't get this. It just does not work for me in any way, shape, or form. And then I sent him my second book. I thought, oh, what the heck, I'm going to try again. He wrote back, I absolutely love this book. And so sometimes they just don't like your book. That's okay. I am a huge fan of The Princess Bride. And on a email loop I'm part of, somebody raved about this book that was written by Kerry Yules, the guy who plays Wesley. And so I ordered the book and I started reading it. I was just captured by it. I loved it because it's behind the scenes look. It's comments from the other people who were in the cast. Rob Reiner comments. It's just a wonderfully done book. And so I'm always curious about what people think of a book. So I go to Amazon and I don't need to read the five-star reviews. I would give it a five-star review. I start reading the one-star reviews and they're just slamming this book. Oh my gosh, it makes it sound like it was a great experience for everybody. Nothing could be that saccharine. And they're just tearing this book apart. And at first I'm like, are we reading the same book? Are you an idiot? And then I go, no, wait a minute, wait a minute. From where they're coming from? Yeah, for them it, it was too saccharine. And I have to say, well, that's your opinion and good for you. You're certainly entitled to it. But that helps me when readers just don't get my novels or when I see people coming after Thomas and I read Courtship and Crisis and my opinion is, oh my gosh, this is an incredibly needed book. So I guess the point is you have to get to a point in your career where you just go, I'm just going to do what I'm called to do and I'm going to try to ignore the people who don't connect with me. That's right. And one thing that's really important as you're marketing to people who don't like you is to not respond in kind. And this is really difficult. Trust me, I am there. I got a really long, very angry email from somebody that I really trusted and respected. And it was difficult. It was difficult to get to receive and to read that. And the temptation is to be like, oh, yeah, well, here's the five ways where you're wrong and defend each one of my points that this person attacked. But that isn't going to work. So there's this wonderful parable of the sun and the wind from Aesop. And the wind got all puffed up. And he told the sun, I am more powerful than you. And the sun's like, oh, really? And the wind is, says, yes, anything you can do, I can do better. So the sun challenges the wind to a contest. He's like, okay, whoever can get the cloak off of this traveler's back is the strongest. And so the wind's like, you're on. So the clouds cover up the sun and the wind starts to blow and the rain starts to fall. And the harder the wind blows, the harder the man holds his cloak to his back until the man finally is bent over, double, hardly moving at all on the road, doing nothing but using every ounce of strength to hold his cloak to his back until finally the wind blows itself out and says, it cannot be done. There is no way to get this man's cloak off of his back. And the sun's like, all right, well, let me show you a thing or two. So the clouds move away and the sun comes out and as the temperature gets warmer and the air gets steamier the man on his own volition takes the cloak off of his back and so when you get into a fight with someone and it's bat 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 you're just trying to blow their cloak off and their pride is now suddenly on the line and they're going to just hold their ideas tighter to them and so as much as you want to respond to those angry comments and as much as you want to respond to those angry reviews on amazon you really don't need to do that. And another reason not to do it, other than the fact that it doesn't work and only makes people angrier, which then leads to more angry comments. And so it's kind of like the tar baby story where Bray Rabbit punches the tar baby one time and he, then he's like, give me my hand back or I'm going to punch you with the other hand. And then he punches him with the other hand and eventually kicks him with both feet. And he's completely trapped now in the tar baby. And that's how interacting with critics on the internet can be. Not only do you not want to do it for that reason, but the other reason you don't want to do it is that 
if you don't, your fans and your readers will come out and defend you. So, so far on my page, on the one-star reviews, those are the ones with all the comments, as the folks who left five-star reviews or maybe just enjoyed the book, didn't even leave a review, are defending me. And the most common one is, did you even read the book? Because <laughs> it came out so fast after the book came out. They're all just kind of shocked that this person said what they said. And it looks a lot better when your fans are defending you, and it's a lot more effective. And one of the other things to keep in mind is personality styles. Some of you have studied Myers-Briggs or some of the other personality style programs and information out there. And it becomes apparent very quickly that there are toxic styles. I learned this when I first started studying personality styles back in when I was in my early 20s. So are you saying some people really are trolls? Yes, some some are just simply trolls. But it came clear to me when I realized I am an expressive personality and my dad was an analytical personality. And those styles are what is known as toxic styles. In other words, we think very differently. I'd say, oh, I spent five bucks on something. And my dad was, no, you spent $4.97. That neither are wrong. It's simply the way you express your personality. And once I understood that and started adapting to my dad, our relationship improved dramatically. So my point is that it has nothing to do with you sometimes, why they don't like your book. It's simply they're a toxic personality style to yours. And you've had this experience where you walk into a room or a party and you start meeting people and it's like, oh my gosh, I really like them. They're so great. Well, because they're probably similar personality style to you, where that other guy across the room, you go, I just don't, I don't get him. I'm never going to connect with him. So it has nothing even to do with their attitude. It has to do with the way they're wired. And also, often the issue is not the issue. So the reason why they're angry may have nothing to do with your book. You're just a convenient outlet. So there's one lady who's been very, very outspoken against me on the internet. And her son got a girl pregnant. And they had a shotgun wedding. And she has been attacking and attacking me. And part of me feels like, I wonder if I am basically a stand-in for her son, who she's very frustrated with, who didn't do courtship, even though that this is what their family believed in very strongly. And she doesn't feel like she can attack her own son because, you know, he's making things right and getting married, but she can attack me instead. And so sometimes you have to realize that the issue is not the actual issue. And there's nothing I can do about that. I can't fix that. I can't fix her. And in some ways, I'm very thankful for her because she's been so loud and so persistent. It keeps people thinking about my book and my blog because she just goes on it. She's been going on for a year now with various posts and uh, she writes more posts about me than I do. (laughs) I love it. You know, Thomas, there's a saying I learned years ago and it's pretty simple and it stuck with me because it is simple, but it's so true. And that is people treat you the way they feel about themselves. Yeah. And that kind of lets you have a little bit more compassion for, for them. Not that their behavior, if it's trolling, is necessarily, you have to say that's great, but you certainly can say, ah, I get it now. This person deep down that probably doesn't have a great life. And that has definitely been the case. Interacting with real-life trolls, people who are trolls on the internet on one issue or another, they're often very lonely, hurt people. Yeah. And uh, hurt people hurt people. And so you just have to be who you are. 
and don't change yourself to adapt to somebody else's brokenness because if you stand strong eventually they'll come around or they won't some of the heroes that i really look up to people like jesus or the apostle paul they had folks who really hated them (laughs) but jesus wasn't like oh i'm sorry pharisees i'm gonna back down now no he doubled down he took a stand for what he stood for and you know what some of those pharisees were won over eventually and paul was one of those Pharisees. His biggest advocate decades later was one of his biggest opponents, literally killing or or participating in the killing of Jesus's followers. And it's tough. I had one of my folks on my launch team was kicked out of a group of homeschool moms because she recommended my book and just talking about my book was unacceptable. And even my supporters are being persecuted now. And so it's tough to watch that. But ultimately, that reaction is is good marketing, people being angry and spreading the word. And if you just take a deep breath and realize it's not the end of the world, this person doesn't have control over how I feel. I have control over how I feel. And this person does not define my value. These folks I'm trying to reach, I'm trying to reach, hopefully your, your heart in marketing your book is trying to help people. Your novel or your nonfiction book is benefiting people in some way. It's got some sort of higher message and meaning, or maybe it's just entertaining. It's good, clean entertainment. And after a rough day, they read your book and they feel a little bit farther away from the troubles in their life. In some way, your book is serving folks. And that's what you have to remind yourself. I'm just trying to serve and bless people. And if people don't want that, that's their problem. (laughs) Don't let it get you down. I want to just emphasize one more time what Thomas is saying, because it's so important. The temptation is to back down when this kind of stuff hits you. And that's where you have to say, nope, nope, my book is needed. I wouldn't have written it if I didn't feel like somebody is going to be entertained or encouraged or inspired. So you don't back down. You stay the course. You keep going with your marketing, keep putting the message out there. And as much as you can, just push out of your mind those readers, those people who will never going to like you. Because the effort you put into getting them to like you, oh my gosh, it's just, it's not a good ROI. There's this great quote I heard sometime. We spend money we don't have to impress people we don't like. I just butchered the quote. I apologize to whoever said the real quote. But yeah, if someone doesn't like you, they're not going to like you. But that doesn't mean that they're not going to buy your book. If they get angry enough, they may buy your book. And the more they talk about it, the more other folks they may get to buy your book. Exactly. So some final things to remember. Remember, you're marketing in every moment. And you don't want to give your haters or your critics any additional ammunition against you than possible which i can tell you as somebody who's writing a book on relationships you know the book's courtship and crisis and it's the title i should probably mention that on a book marketing <laughs> podcast i should at least mention the title courtship and crisis.com and here's the call to yeah. action <laughs> yeah. go buy it yeah now. um so uh that's made my dating life a little bit more complicated <laughs> to realize I have this huge horde of people waiting for me to make a mistake so that they can point it out. If you Google Thomas Sumstat, one of the very first suggested results is, is Thomas Sumstat Jr. married? Because of how many people are searching for that on Google. <laughs> so it's like, no pressure. <laughs> but accept the fact that you're not going to connect with everyone. No book resonates with everyone. There is not a single book that everyone read and everyone liked. The most popular book in the world, by far every year it's the best-selling book, the Bible, also the most controversial. More people hate that book than any other book. And so just realize you're not going to write a more popular book than the Bible, which means you're still going to have haters on your book. And the more successful it is, the more folks are going to not like it. And then finally, concentrate on what you do have, not on what you don't. And we kind of explained that already, but that's so important. Focus on those readers that love you. Pour your energy, your emotional energy, and your time into them and not these folks who you're never going to win over. 
One final thing I'd like to add is when we recorded these episodes, trolls stopped at saying mean things about you online. Now they may try to cancel you. And if that's the case, and there is an army of trolls trying to cancel you, I recommend that you listen to my episode, How to Survive Cancel Culture as a Writer. In that episode, I talk about how to make your platform cancel-proof, and it's a great sequel to this episode, and you can find a link to it in the show notes at authormedia.com slash 352. I'd like to thank the patrons that help keep this podcast possible. Not only do you help us keep from getting canceled, but you are an encouragement. Your money is far more encouraging than any mean things that anyone could say. And the new patrons as of November 2022 are Sandra De Bruin, Bridget Cushman, Janae Hamrick, Alicia Lane Thompson, Rockin' Rick Bell, Bob Hutchins, and Glenda Mays Shaw. Thank you so much for helping keep this podcast on the air. Thank you for your support. I really do appreciate it. The Novel Marketing Podcast is a production of Author Media. The co-host for the archive episodes is James Rubart. Our producer is Lori Christine. The audio engineering is by William Umstadt. And the blog version is crafted by Shauna Lettler. To read that blog version of this episode, visit authormedia.com slash 352. I'm Thomas Umstadt Jr. saying thank you for listening and live long and prosper.